Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, June 8th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm's a little longish, Psalm 68, the one I've selected, so I'm going to read just portions of it, so I want to dive right in and get ourselves going. Um, it's an interesting psalm. It, it has to do with, uh, it's, a, it's a psalm of triumph. Um, the context is um, Israel facing enemies, and it's really a victory psalm, celebrating God's victory through his people, but there's some really tender, some tender language uh, in it at the outset that I want to lift up, and then I want to read the, the, the closing few verses. So, for the director of music, a psalm of David, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. And he skipped down. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. And then finally, summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nation. Humbled may it bring bars of silver, scatter the nations who delight in war. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth, sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. That's about half the psalm, okay? So there's a lot of verses that, that I jumped over. 
it, it's a, a psalm of triumph, of victory. The context is battle. And so this language of may God arise, may his enemies be scattered, that's a, a, a quotation from uh, the Torah, Book of Numbers. When the trumpet is blasted, God's people, the 12 tribes, would assemble and they would march out uh, to head off. Um, <clears throat> this language about um, uh, setting the lonely in families, um, uh, the, the father to the fatherless, so, so some tender, tender language. Perhaps the context of that is because of the battle, there are going to be victims. There will be some who fall in battle. Uh, we just had Memorial Day uh, in our own nation, and so we know there's a responsibility to care for the widows and, and for the children who have lost fathers or mothers. And so I, I think there may be some context there. That in the midst of this going forth, there is also a tenderness uh, of God. Praise be to God. <laughs> who daily bears our burdens. Uh, so that, that language, that's a, a little portion of the psalm that we learned in our family. Uh, years and years ago, we just committed to memory and, and the kids, and we still uh, say that from time to time. But it's this, uh, these final, uh, this final few verses, summon your power, O God, show us your strength, O God, as you have done before context would be um, uh, the Exodus, uh, God's victory over Pharaoh and uh, his army, and God's power being shown, this show us your power now as you have before, the before being uh, the Exodus uh, deliverance. And then uh, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. So power is how this psalm ends. <laughs> May God arise is how it begins and, and summon your power, O God. Um, <clears throat> we ended yesterday's um, Basement Academy uh, looking at the prayer of Paul uh, here in the second half of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul is praying for uh, the, the uh, people there in Ephesus, uh, this Gentile city where um, he, he's encouraged by their response, their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints. For this very reason, I then, I can't stop giving thanks. And I'm praying that God will give you, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus will give you the Spirit so that you may know him better. And so the prayer, Paul's prayer is that the flock there who've responded to the gospel would know him better. It's not just about getting a salvation ticket, so to speak, for heaven. It's about growing. It's about knowing the Lord uh, more deeply. And then he prays, I pray also... Let me, let me pick up there. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So it's kind of opened or you can see. So that, let there be spiritual eyesight. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so that's where we ended, kind of the, the reflection yesterday on this incomparably great power that is ours. And so I ended 
yesterday with what would happen if we prayed this prayer for ourselves, for our loved ones, for those on our prayer list. Typically, we pray for healing. We might pray for a specific activity that's uh, in play, uh, a job interview, uh, a medical procedure, uh, some financial need, uh, acceptance into a school, or things like that. You know, uh, often we see people in the stands praying for their team or for their child when the child is up to bat. Um, and so that's understandable. You know, we, let, let's pray at all times, on all occasions, for all things. But what's interesting is rarely do I hear in prayer groups this kind of prayer. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, weekly, a weekday prayer group at Greenwich. We, you would be invited to join. It's, it's via Zoom. And, and that's a group of folks who do pray with a, a little more um, intentionality around this kind of idea. But typically... Even on Sunday mornings when I'm offering a pastoral prayer, Eric is offering pastoral prayer, we don't hear this kind of language. And so what's interesting, um, Paul lands on this notion, I'm praying that you'll know him better, that your eyes will be open, that you will know this hope, you'll know this inheritance, you'll know this power. Okay, so kind of echoing back to Psalm 68, summon your power, O God. And then Paul goes on, and I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 19. So he ends with knowing this incomparably great power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The only way Paul can think to describe the power that is for us believers <laughs> And again, the translation, it could also mean a power that is in us. So it's, it's a power available to us in, in some way. It's effective towards us. The only way he can describe that power is the resurrection. The power that he, he wants us to understand, to have spiritual understanding and discernment, eyesight, to discern this power its resurrection power is available to you. <laughs> Believers live in and through and out of that, that resurrection power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. He's piling up words that have to do with um, energy and, 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 and strength. And so, so the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. That's the enthronement of Jesus Christ. So we, we talk about his ascension. Jesus ascended, and so his disciples saw him vanish from sight. And then we understand by faith, because we haven't seen him there, but that he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And so it's this resurrection and enthronement of Jesus, the power, the authority, all that happened from that. And so Paul goes on, um, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul begins this little portion of his letter describing his prayer. I can't stop giving thanks. I'm so excited about your faith, your love. I can't stop giving thanks. I'm praying that God will give you his spirit so that you'll know him better. He'll open your eyes. You'll know this hope, this inheritance, this power. And then all of a sudden, when he talks about that power, he shifts. And no longer is he talking about his prayer, but he moves into really what you might say worship and instruction. And so he details in some way this power that we believers have access to is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes on. He can't stop there. He has, but, but he's seated far above all, all rule and authority and power and dominion in every title. He's above presidents. He's above potentates. He's above prime ministers. He's above poobahs. He, he's above all authority, all human authority, whatever title we can imagine, whoever is the, the CEO, the, the boss, whoever is that top of the chain of command, he's higher than that. He's above that. And so Paul can't stop there. <laughs> he, he's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title in this age, the age to come. And he is now, God has appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body. And then he, he starts talking about the church as his body. We'll pick up on that later in the letter. All things are now under his feet. So Paul moves from praying to worship and instruction. Now, let me talk about worship briefly, <clears throat> because when I say Paul turns to worship, well, he's not singing, which is what many of us associate with worship. Now, when we think worship, we typically think of what happens in the sanctuary on Sunday morning when the church gathers, Greenwich or whatever church you, you may attend. I hope you attend church, anyone who's listening or watching. We extended invitation to Greenwich. There's, there's kind of funny thinking about worship. We think of worship as the one hour event or hour and a half event that happens on a Sunday morning. And the primary reality around worship that, that at least in my experience of in conversation with people over many, many years of Christian leadership when people speak of worship, they're speaking of the event that happens on Sunday morning. And many even focus in within that event on the singing portion of that event. Let's sing some worship and praise songs. People in certain kinds of churches that have extended worship sets is what they will say. There'll be three or four songs that a, a, a praise team of some sort will lead. And then after the worship, then we'll have the teaching or have the sermon. And so uh, there's some who think of worship as the singing part of the service. Others think of worship maybe from liturgical traditions. Worship is the liturgy, the reciting of the 
the uh, order of worship. Uh, there are certain uh, phrases, there are certain movements. So in the Roman Catholic Church, in the Episcopalian Church in particular, or the Anglican Church, there are set prayers. that We have some of that at Greenwich, right? Um, but there's a set flow, and sometimes there may be aesthetic components to worship. Um, where there's a certain kind of entrance into the sanctuary, maybe a procession by the choir or something. Um, there might be robes, there might be other kinds of expressions that have an aesthetic appeal uh, to the worshiper. And so when people think worship, they often think singing or they think about the aesthetic components, the flow of the service, the liturgy as we sometimes call it. I would offer to you that worship is simpler than that. It, it, um, it's more basic than that, more foundational. Worship properly understood, I believe, is this. It is honoring God for what God has done and who God is. Honoring our God as creator, we, so we praise him for his creation, we praise him for salvation, the way in which he brought that about through Jesus Christ. Um, we, we praise Jesus, we, we focus, uh, we are Christians, and so we don't just worship God generically as some other religions might. We specifically say the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, so we're a Trinitarian um, communion. And so it's honoring God for what he has done, honoring Jesus Christ for who he is. It's these ideas. And so this is what Paul is doing. That's why I say he pivots towards worship. We've already sensed that and seen that a little bit in the opening verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, heavenly realm. And so praise God. And then he goes on and talks about what the Father has done. The Father, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then he talks about what Jesus has done. Through his blood, we have redemption. He talks about what the Holy Spirit has done. We have been sealed uh, with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. And each of these three sections, he says, to the praise of his glory. And so Paul sets his theology and his understanding of God in the context of worship. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And so that is worship. Our word worship comes from an old English, the old English worth-ship, declaring the worth of an item or a person. And so God is worthy of our praise. He has done great things for us and we rightly rejoice in him. And so Paul is doing that. And so it's interesting that, um, that, that Paul turns from his prayer into worship and instruction. And then he, he piles up this notion of, of Jesus the honorifics, I guess, the, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but the honorifics of Jesus Christ, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, every title that could be named on this, in this life or beyond this life. There is no one higher 
than Jesus Christ. No one to whom attention and respect and honor is more um, due than Jesus Christ. All things have been put under his feet. He is the head over everything. And so kind of it, pulling the image of Jesus and his body, head to, from head to feet, right? From head to toe, we could say. Uh, in this notion of all things being placed under his feet, uh, there's, there's likely an illusion going on here to Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Paul, he would have well known that, that scripture and he would have understood that it applies or is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to tease out more about the church as the body of Christ, um, the fullness uh, of all that's being spoken of there. But what strikes me about this passage is how foreign it seems to our regular prayer life. <laughs> but it seems so, it, it just flows for Paul. Paul certainly would have been concerned about prayers of healing and restoration and the like. No, no, no question. But it's interesting when he, when he describes or enumerates his prayer for these early believers, I want you to know him better. I want you to have the spiritual eyesight. I want you to be able to see as clearly as possible this hope and this inheritance, how treasured we are in the Father's sight and this power. Summon your power, O God. He actually quotes from Psalm 68 later in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So, so it might be when he's talking about this power, he, he's already contemplating Psalm 68, uh, the enthronement. It's, it's an enthronement psalm as well, uh, the, the victory psalm. And so what strikes me about this second half of chapter one is how unusual it seems. Um, it's, it's language that, that not, um, in my experience, many of our churchgoers at Greenwich and, and other churches I've served, this is foreign unusual language to them, to be focusing in on the power of Jesus Christ that's available to us, this hope to which we've been called, this exaltation, this enthronement of Jesus Christ. We just don't think about that stuff much. But if you recall, in my introduction to Ephesians last week, I said, this letter is a wonderful antidote <laughs> to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes can be a little off-putting, a little dour, a little sobering, um, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, and, and you look at the world, Ecclesiastes says, look at the world and things don't seem to make sense and things seem random and the wicked get what the righteous deserve and the righteous get what the wicked deserve. And oh my goodness, it all seems vanity and empty and pointless and meaningless and missed. Ephesians is so solid. <laughs> it's so solid compared to the mistiness that Ecclesiastes is speaking to. Now, Ecclesiastes is strong, solid words too, but it's, 
it's exploring a different aspect of this life where Paul is coming in and just punching through. We can know him better. There is a spirit given to us that will open our eyes and we'll know this hope, this high calling that we have received and this we are the treasured possession of God. We are that glorious inheritance in the saints that, that belongs to us and he is our inheritance and we are his and, and the power. <laughs> so I want to urge you again to try on Paul's prayer for yourself. Just take the phrase, take the actual words themselves or paraphrase them in your own way, but try to work Paul's prayer here for the Ephesians into your prayers. And as you get up in the morning, as you go to rest at night, as you contemplate through the day, the news of the day, the news of the world, the distress and frustration and challenges that are often beset us individually and collectively as, as a people, if you're praying this kind of prayer, you're going to find yourself going, okay, it looks like things are out of control, but I know there is one who is enthroned at the right hand who is far above all authority, who is exercising his authority now. So I'm going to tease that out tomorrow um, to how, how, how to understand uh, this authority of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that does still seem a bit chaotic. Uh, and, and, and frustrating. Um, this is why we need to pray this way so that our hearts do not become overwhelmed. We do not become distressed. There is no reason for distressed people ever. Christians ought not be distressed at the news of the world. We, we hear it and then we pray through it. We say, God, you're doing something. Show yourself strengthen and equip me and and my people and equip us to serve in the midst of the difficulties of our world. I, th I think that's where Paul would probably line up with us um, in our thinking, in our prayers. So anyway, let me close here. Uh, we'll pick up again tomorrow and we'll, we'll try to tease a little more thoughts out of this uh, chapter one, the end of chapter one here. Okay, let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you for this exalted language that the Apostle Paul offers here in Ephesians 1. Thank you for your Spirit's inspiration, guiding his thinking, guiding his dictation to someone who may have written his words down in this form. Thank you for the translation into our own language that we might profit, that we might understand an apostolic approach to prayer. And so while we continue to pray for healing and restoration and comfort, uh, the, the common prayers of our lives and of our church, we want to lift our sights higher and we want to pray with Paul that your spirit would be given to us, O oh Father, that we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you and may know Jesus Christ better and that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts would be opened, enlightened. We would see with fresh vision and clarity this hope and this treasured possession and inheritance and this power, 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 wonder-working power that is available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so strengthen us, Lord, when we're weary, when we're distressed, when we're frustrated, when we're confused, Lord. Recall to us this prayer. Help us to make it our own. And thank you 
that we have one interceding for us in heaven, even Jesus Christ our Lord, and guide us into deeper and fresher and more earnest and meaningful worship, declaring who you are and what you have done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us and blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, may he make that known to you in new and fresh ways this day and forevermore. Amen.